what I love about the Bible? Man, it's, it's, first of all, it's God's word to us. Like, he left it for us. But here's what I love about the Bible. There's never a time that I open it up and read something in it that I don't learn something. You know what I'm saying? Like, even the, the parts of the Bible that I find boring, and yes, I find some parts of it boring. Like, the book of Numbers. I hate math, y'all. Hate it. So the book of Numbers is not my book. But the book of Numbers is about a census of the nation of Israel so that they know how strong they are and how they can take on any enemy that comes before them. Why? Because they know who they have and how to station what they have. That's what the whole book's about. It's an amazing thing. Have you ever done this? Maybe you've done this. Uh, I know I have. You don't know what to read. So you're just, this, you, pull, you pull this one. All right, God, I'm just going to open the Bible. You turn it to the page you want me to read. You know what I'm talking about? And then it, you open it, and it's like this weird verse. But as you keep reading, it's like God kind of tells you something. You kind of get something through it. I love that. I love the fact that I can read a story that I have read a hundred times. I was raised in church. I went to Sunday school, had amazing Sunday school teachers, had amazing youth group leaders and teachers, kids' church leaders and teachers. I've been in ministry now for 20 years preaching the gospel. Like I, I've read some stories in the Bible. And I've read a lot of them, and popular ones, like, really a lot. Tonight, we're actually going to talk about uh, a really popular one in Tribe. Because when I was reading it a little while ago, it's a, it's a, it's a story about uh, that movies have been made out of. And I saw one thing that I've always missed in the story that changed everything for me in the story. Don't you love it when that happens? Man, it's crazy how that takes place. Today, we're going to talk about a story in the book of Esther. It might be a book you've never even opened up to. Um, but we're going to talk about a story in the book of Esther that honestly, if I'm going to be honest, should be on Netflix. It should take the place of Tiger King. It is a crazy story, y'all. I don't know if it'd be as popular as Stranger Things, but it is strange things going on in Esther. And like, we're going to talk about the story, but there's really something that's awesome in the story that we need to grab and pull from. Because it's a story that's all about the fact that maybe... Everything that's happened by chance never was by chance to begin with. And it's a really cool story of what that looks like in our lives. And over the next several weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into the Word because here's what I know. We're going to dive into the Word to learn how to make our lives count. Because here's what I know. No matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, existent, you've had a relationship for a long time, you have no relationship, you're just at church because somebody told you they buy you lunch. Or maybe you're just here because the girl you're sitting next to you think is cute. I don't know, but here's what I do know. Whether you're online today, whether you're in Florence today, whether you're in Columbia today, we all want our lives to count for something. All of us want our lives to count for something. We don't, we don't want our lives to end and just be like, oh, that was meaningless. We all want it to count. And the truth is the Bible actually talks a lot about that. And one of the things I love to do with the Bible as a pastor and in my personal life is find practical ways that the Bible teaches us to live things out to make it count. And so we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. And I'm excited to jump in today as we talk about this idea. If you want to title the message this, you can. This idea of perfect timing. Perfect timing. Let's pray together real quick. Father, I love you. Thank you, God. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for all the amazing people that are here. God, I thank you that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that call this place home. And God, there's so many more that are going to call this place home. 
God, we're grateful. God, today, we just want to jump in, look at Scripture, see what you're saying to us, and live it out. Because Scripture is honestly only as good as how we live it. And so God, help us do that. We love you. We honor you. In your name we pray. And if you're expecting something good in this place today, can you put your hands together real quick for the Lord? So I'm not an incredibly athletic guy. I'm not incredibly athletic. As you can tell, I'm not a linebacker. Would never be a lineman in football, right? If I was a quarterback, the first time I got sacked, I'd never play again. I'm a wee little man. I understand that, but dynamite comes in small packages. So I still play some things. You know what I'm saying? I still play some things. And, and Pastor Travis this summer taught a couple of messages uh, to us about the importance of rest and the command of Sabbath and how it's not really a suggestion, it's a command. And you're not resting, shouldn't be resting from something, but you should be resting for what God has for you and what that looks like. And we should like let our minds decompress. And if you go and you, side note, if you go and study that stuff psychologically and like scientifically, you'll find that not only is it, that is it uh, spiritual, but now science backs up the spiritual discipline of that. That our adrenal glands will burn out and we cannot make decisions like we should if we do not take rest. So it's just the way it is. And so I had to find, like, I'm one of those guys. Some of you guys, some of you girls will relate to this. Uh, I'm one of those guys. I do not, like, sit down and do nothing very often. Even if I sit down and do nothing, my brain is doing something. You with me? Like, I'm, I'm going, hey, I should fix this. But the problem is, is there's nothing to fix over here, so I figure out how to mess it up so I can fix it. <laughs> right? Hey, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I think about things all the time. Or, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm keeping my hands busy. I'm scrolling. That's why most of us scroll social media because we can't let our minds sit for a minute. It just feels awkward. I can't. You can't. It's just hard. I'm one of those guys. So I have to find things. Since I work with my brain, they say the best way to rest is to find ho hobbies that have to do with your hands. And so I'm like, okay, I like sports. So I've tried all this stuff. And y'all, I found one thing, one thing that like I zone out. I zone, anybody have something that like, it, it makes you zone out? Listen, Target doesn't count, all right? That's just spending money. That ain't, don't do that. Um, but like, I found something. I've tried everything in the world. The gym is one of those places. But that's kind of like, I'm making progress. I have to do that kind of thing. Like I need to do that for my health, right? But y'all, I found this thing. When I get on the golf course, I zone out. It's like, is anybody, we got any golfers in the room in, the, in here today? The rest of you are like, I ain't good enough to claim it. That's fine. There's a difference in playing golf and being good at golf. Most people just play golf. Like the average score is over 100. But it's just something that when I get a club in my hands, y'all, it just feels so, it fits perfect. You know what I'm saying? And like, I can just zone out. As soon as I pull up on the golf course in the parking lot, I'm like, take all my money. Just take it all. Get out there in the beautiful, lavish green and you smell the grass. <sighs> Squirrels run across the green and they move the hole from the last time you played so you're not getting a birdie this time as a double bogey. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I just love it. And, 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 and I love playing golf. I played golf the other day. I actually talked my wife into going with me. Be jealous. Be jealous. My wife went with me and I shot the best round I've ever shot in my entire life on Friday. Some people are like, well, she, she'd lie and, and say that you did even if you didn't. No, she liked laughing at me way too much for me to make up a score. Best run I've ever played. They got this phrase on the golf course, though, called let the big dog eat. That means you grip it and rip it. You pull out the big dog, your, your, your driver. 
and you, you just stand up, and boy, you let it go. You, throw, you, you hit that thing 400 yards down the, down the fairway, and I was gripping and ripping the other day, y'all. You, here's what you do. You put that thing down, and you, you hold it, and you put your butt out like that, and bend your knees. And for me, i got to have a slow backswing. Some people are just crazy, and I just kind of take that thing back, and it's bah! That was beautiful right there. Y'all should have taken video of that and took it back and learned. Learned a lesson or two. Here's the thing about golf. Like, I, I love to play golf. I'm not good at golf. I just enjoy playing golf. It's a, it's, a, it's a stress relief for me. But on every golf club, on every baseball bat, any of that stuff, you have what is called a sweet spot. Now, I want you to pay attention. This is a sweet spot right here. Sweet spot is kind of, it's a circle. It's in circular motion. The most used part of my club is over here, not here. It's right there. Most scuffed up used portion of my club. The problem is, is I got like two professionals that play golf sitting right in front of me right now. Not really professionals, but they're good. Anyway, so you, you play, and, and if you hit that sweet spot, can I tell you how you know you hit that sweet spot? That thing soars, man. You can tell by the way it sounds when it comes off the club. It's a ping. This is called a ping driver. Ping. Right? In fact, truthfully, I can be playing golf with somebody and have my back to them, and I can tell by the sound of the club if it's a good drive or not. There's times where I'll go, like, that was a good one. They're like, yeah, I crushed that one. I'm like, I wasn't even looking. I can tell by the way it sounds. If you're watching baseball, right, you can tell if somebody gets a hold of the ball by the ping of the bat or the crack of the bat and wooden bats. Like, you can just tell why, because it hits the sweet spot. And if you hit that sweet spot, it's going to go further. It's going to go faster. It's going to work in your favor. And you, here's what they tell you when you're learning to play golf. Let the club do the work. Let the club do the work. And I'm like, okay, I'll just stand here. I'm going to create a robotic club where you push a button and it just automatically does it one day. But let the club do the work. Why? You hit the sweet spot. And here's what I know about you. You're searching for your sweet spot. I know you want your sweet spot. In a world where there's very few sweet things going on today, you want your sweet spot. You want your sweet spot at work. You want your sweet spot with your sweetie at home. You want your sweet spot with your kids. You want your sweet spot... You know, at home, wherever it is, it doesn't matter. You want your sweet spot. You know why I know you want your sweet spot? Because that's how we want to be. Because we want to be able to do the most possible and make the most impact and make our lives count in the best way that we can. Make the most impact. All of us are wired that way. Here's what I want to tell you about your sweet spot. Your sweet spot is perfect time plus a perfect God. And it always equals the perfect opportunity. The perfect time plus the perfect God. Watch this. When I, when I, when I got up Friday and I was, I, was, I was gripping and ripping and I was letting the big dog eat and I was getting up there and I was straightening up and I was, I was doing everything I needed to do, here's the thing. If my timing of my swing got off, right? If the timing of my swing got off, then it was going to mess up the opportunity. But if the timing was right, if my backswing was good, if my elbow was straight, if my hips came around at the same time as the club head, and my shoulders and my back shoulder pulled my head up, if the timing was right, then I was going to make contact with the ball and it was going to be a whole lot better. I didn't have a per God doesn't care what I shoot on the golf course. I wish he did. I might could help, he could help me out a little bit. But the truth is, in your life, it's the perfect time plus the perfect, uh, plus the perfect God equals the perfect opportunity every single time. And honestly, there's a story in Esther that talks all about that. 
And it's an incredible story of perfect timing and perfect opportunities and all these things lining up to create this perfect plan where God shows out and shows off on amazing things. But in order for you to grab when I'm going to teach out of Esther chapter 4 today, you got to understand the whole story. So we're going to go back a little bit. I'm going to give some context. I'm going to give some culture. I'm going to give you a little bit of story. We're story time with Pastor B today. Are you guys good with that? Story time, you got to understand, because here's the truth. Can I, I, a little caveat, a little side note. It's easy, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can find any scripture you want to def- find to support any opinion you want to have. The problem is you can find the scripture, but you better make sure that's what it says. Because there's warnings all over the Bible about taking his word out of context and holding it captive towards people in a way that it never was. Some things are very black and white. Some things you got to understand some other things. I want to I talk a little bit about Esther and what's taking place. So Esther, what, what is taking place? you got this uh, king. We're going to call him King Ahasuerus. I don't know how to say it completely. I've tried and I keep messing it up, so it's Ahasuerus, right? And is King Ahasuerus one day, he's in charge. He's got a queen. His wife's name is Vashti. And King Ahasuerus is very much about showing off and about pride and everything that he has. And so Ahasuerus decides that he doesn't want to have the maturity of handling alcohol a correct way, in a mature way. So he gets drunk one night, just gets blitzed, just goes crazy. And he decides that his wife is the most beautiful wife in all the land. And so now he wants to show off his wife to everybody that can see something. And so he goes, hey, go bring Vashti to me. Vashti is to show off her beauty to everybody that's at the party tonight in all the land, right? Well, to women, sometimes that can be flattering, depending on the circumstance. But in that circumstance, it's probably pretty demoralizing and degrading and, 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 and just hurtful, right? So Vashti goes, oh, heck nah, he ain't doing that to me. So she never comes. So he gets his pride hurt. He gets his feelings hurt. So King Ahasuerus decides, you're not going to be my queen anymore. You do not embarrass me in front of the kingdom. You don't do it. And he was the king, so he had the opportunity to do that. That's the culture of the day. And so he decides he's going to find a new queen. Now, he didn't find a new queen by downloading Tinder or whatever. Probably shouldn't be on that anyway. No, he didn't find a new queen doing that. He didn't go on dates. He didn't do all that stuff. He didn't connect on Instagram. Here's what... King Ahasuerus says, King Ahasuerus goes, I'm going to find a queen that's the most beautiful in all the land, and so I'm going to hold a beauty pageant. And in a couple weeks, we're going to have the beauty pageant, and all these women are going to walk by, and I'm going to pick the most beautiful one out of them all. So they go. Now, this is where Esther comes in. Esther is a Jewish immigrant from the exile from the Egyptian slavery. And so she comes in, and her uncle or cousin, sorry, her cousin Mordecai now has legal guardianship over her. They're both Jews. Well, Esther comes in, and she enters the beauty pageant. And she's one of the few that uh, King Ahasuerus goes, hey, those few over there, keep them for a couple weeks. Take them to Sephora to get whatever makeup they want. Let them go shop and get whatever clothes. Like, make sure it looks like this, and they dress like that. Give them this diet, all this stuff. Like, he's very vain, right? And they do this, and then they do the final beauty pageant walkthrough or whatever they're doing, and he decides that Esther is the most beautiful one in the land, and Esther is going to be his new queen. And so King Ahasuerus is like, yeah, Esther, you're mine. You're now the queen. Now, he has, and this is going to matter, he has no idea she's a Jew. No clue. He just picked her based solely on looks. Can I just warn you? If you're in this room and you don't have a wife or anything like that yet or a husband, can I warn you, do not pick solely on looks. 
You got to make sure they're compatible. You got to make sure the 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 personalities and the goals and the and the and the spirits. Like, make sure all that stuff matches, y'all. Don't just go, "Hey, you're hot. Want to get married?" There's a show on Netflix called Married at First Sight. That show scares me to death. It's so weird, y'all. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so she goes through, and she's now the queen. Now there's this guy that pops up. He's the, I'm trying to give you the short version. He's the second in charge to King Ahasuerus. His name is Haman. Haman shows up, and Haman and Mordecai get into an argument a little bit. Now, Mordecai is Esther's uncle, our cousin, remember? Legal guardian. Mordecai overhears, just before this, this confrontation with Haman, Mordecai overhears a couple guys that are deciding to assassinate the king. They want to kill the king. So Mordecai does what any of us would do, and he alerts the authorities, and he gets them taken care of, and he saves the king's life. Well, the king is now has some gratitude and debt to Mordecai for saving his life. So Haman comes around. Haman doesn't understand all this. Haman and Mordecai get in an argument, and Mordecai, or Haman decides he wants to kill all the Jews because he hates Mordecai, and he finds out Mordecai's a Jew. So Haman convinces over another drunken party. Do you see the common denominator of bad decisions here? Over another drunken party, Haman convinces the king to make a decree that at this date, at this time, all Jews are going to be killed. Every one of them. Now, the king has not yet learned that his new wife, his new queen, is also a Jew. You can see the the confrontation that's about to take place. So Mordecai figures this thing out, and all of a sudden, a king, he makes the decree. And here's what you got to know about decrees. Kings cannot go back on decrees. A king cannot just go, you know what, I wrote that decree, erase that. I was just kidding. That's not how it works. You can't go back on a decree. So there's some things that have to take place for that to happen. And then Mordecai finds out about the decree to kill their nation, to kill Esther, to kill Mordecai and the Jewish people. And here's what happens. Mordecai gets a hold of Esther, and he begins to have a conversation. And he goes, Esther, listen, if you think you're going to escape the annihilation of the Jews, you're a Jew. It's a decree. You cannot go back on it. The truth is, you're going to die just like the rest of the nation, and you're going to die in the palace. And I understand you think you're going to escape it, but it's not. Esther, what if we did something to change the course of history here? What if we did something that made a difference? Now, do you see the craziness of the story? There's a lot of chaos. Are you with me today? There's a lot of chaos happening around the situation, isn't it? There's a lot of weird things going on, and there's a lot of craziness taking place. But Mordecai, in the conversation, he makes one statement in Esther chapter 4, in verse 14, that connects all the dots and changes everything else throughout the course of history And the story, they're in conversation, Mordecai and Esther, and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do. And look what, oh man, look what Mordecai says to Queen Esther. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise. Okay, stop right there, Mordecai, sounds good. But he says this, will arise for the Jews from another place. Listen to me, let's just stop right there for a minute. I don't want to be a church that God looks over to do great things because we wouldn't stand up for the kingdom of God at all times. I don't want to be a person that God finds somebody else that's bolder than me because I'd refused to tell people about Jesus. I refuse to tell them that there's a hope and that there's a savior and there's someone that loves them so much that he gave his life so that they could have life. I refuse to be the person 
that wasn't bold enough to invite my friends and family to experience God. I refuse to be the person that just sits back and is okay with everything everybody does, but I never tell them about the goodness of God. Are you with me? He goes, hey, Esther, if you're quiet and don't do what God says, I'm just letting you know. And he says, you and your father's house will die. In other words, you will perish. Other people will perish. But there will be deliverance and he will look right past you because you refuse to step up. Can we just decide we don't want to be that, right? We want our lives to count, y'all. We want to do everything we can to reach as many people as possible. I know our church is all about doing everything that we can to reach as many people as absolutely possible and point them to the cross, the goodness of Jesus, the healing power of God, the love of our Father, and the empowerment of the Spirit and do everything that we can to help people know that there's a life beyond what we see here and we want them there partying in heaven with us. Let's make it count. Let's do everything we can to make it count. So let's keep going. And it says, and who knows, this is where everything changes. So he tells her, you know, hey, you, you and your father's house are going to perish if God may look past you if you don't take a chance here. And here's what he says. And who knows whether you have not att attained royalty for such a time as this. Mordecai looks at Esther and goes, hey, listen, Esther, you're sitting in the palace now. You got all the food you want. You got all the clothes, all the, all the makeup. You got all the power. You got all the royalty. You have everything in front of you that people in this nation and in this world are seeking for. You have it all. You sit in it. It's your life now. You have it. It doesn't matter how you attained it. You have it. And he goes, what if all the by chance moments that got you there weren't actually by chance? What if all the coincidences that got you into the palace weren't actually coincidences that got you into the palace? I mean, think about this, y'all. Think about this for a second. In Esther chapter 2, in verse 17, is where Esther, uh, uh, King Ahas, ah, whatever his name is, the king decides Esther is going to be the new queen. 2.17, he basically says, you're the most beautiful one in the land. Here is the crown that was once on Vashti's head. She's now the queen. That doesn't just happen. A guy gets drunk, gets mad at his wife and goes, I'm going to hold a beauty pageant, find a, new, find a new wife, and I don't know anything about her. He doesn't even know she's a Jew. That's crazy. It's by chance, right? What a coincidence until it's not. In Esther chapter 8, verse 2, you see a ch another change in power take place. Remember Haman, the king's second in charge, right? He helps the king with all this. After the king is made aware of the fact that Esther and Mordecai, who the king loves, are both Jews, and he's about to kill them, and, and Haman is using the king to get his things across. Y'all, I'm not making this up. Haman is killed, and Mordecai is given the power ring, the signet ring that, Mord that Haman had. Mordecai becomes the second in charge to the king now. Two Jews that are about to be killed are now second and third in charge. Coincidence. Until it's not. And see, there's a lot of things that take place in the story that seem like, well, they're just by chance. And Mordecai was reminding Esther, maybe, just maybe, Esther, this life isn't about what you can gather, but about what you can give. Come on, somebody. 
He was saying, maybe it's not about what you got. Maybe it's not about a palace. Maybe it's not about the food. Maybe it's not about the beauty pageant. Maybe, Esther, everything you've experienced was not by chance after all. Maybe it was for such a time as this. And can I encourage you today, wherever you are, wherever you sit, whatever your life looks like, whatever it is, I need you to know a couple things. Number one, you need to know you have purpose, and you have purpose in your bones from God. You need to know that first and foremost before anything else. The second thing is we can watch the news and see craziness, but maybe, just maybe, everything that by chance got you here in August of 2022 wasn't actually by chance. Maybe you're alive in August of 2022 for such a time as this. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'm just saying, the coincidences weren't actually a coincidence. Maybe everything you have in your life, every dollar, every influence, every opportunity, every relationship, everything you've gathered up until this point, maybe it wasn't a coincidence that you gathered it. Maybe it was for such a time as this. See, and Mordecai's trying to get Esther to realize this and, and go. And, 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 and Mordecai is basically, if you want to sum it down to the root of something, he's basically looking at Esther and he's saying, we got to save our people. And I need you, Esther to risk your life with me for something that may happen. He doesn't know how it's going to play out. He doesn't know what's going to take place when they begin the, the plan. They he doesn't know what's going to take place. But here's what he says. Risk your life for something that may or may not take place. Man, what a life. What an opportunity of faith. For people that have a faith and experience with God to where we can feel his tangible presence through the spirit of God. For people that have been redeemed from the pits of hell through the blood of the cross to a place of, of, re, of redemption, to a place of love, to a place to where we sit with the Father. And Hebrews says that we now have access to the throne of God. What about us going, no, I will risk it all for something that may or may not take place. But this life is for such a time as this. What if your purpose was not about what you can gather here on earth? Not about the money that sits in your bank account but never makes a difference. What if it's not about filling up a chair to watch everybody else serve the people of God to come and experience God? What if it's not about just waking up at 6 a.m.? Eating a frozen ego, putting some generic syrup on top, scrolling Facebook or Snapchat. What if it's about more than yelling at people on the interstate when they cut you off every morning and walking into an office and having a bad attitude because you don't like your job? What if it's about more than eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at lunch and going home that afternoon and being angry because your kids won't listen to you because they've been in school all day and all they want is their mom or their dad? What about life being more than just showing up and sitting in a recliner and watching Sports Center until you fall asleep in the bed that night only to wake up and do it all over again so that you can pad a bank account and buy a boat and get a house and all those things are great. But what if life was more than that? What if there was something greater in you and for you? What if the talent you have was not for you to enjoy in a closed bedroom, but for you to step up and help point people to Jesus with the very talent you've been perfecting in private and God wants to use it to help other people see him? 
What if? And I just want to tell you, I don't think the lives that we have are by coincidence. I don't think it's a bunch of what ifs. I don't think it's a bunch of, hey, this is cool. I don't think it's a bunch of by chances. I think we all have something to give because God gave us something to give. And here's what I want you to know as we talk about that. I want you to understand this, that our lives cannot be maximized apart from God. You got to hear me. Your life, my life cannot, will not be maximized apart from God. Will you achieve good things? Sure. Can you get, can you get a lot of money apart from God? Absolutely. Can you, can you influence a, a lot of people without a relationship with God? Sure you can. Can you be a good person away from a relationship with God? Yes. Well, then why do I need God? Well, it depends on your goal. If you just want to gather things and be a good person, you can do that without God. But I cannot get myself into a place of eternal salvation to where I know I'm sitting with a father that loves me no matter what. I cannot trust any of you because we're all human to be there through the good and the bad without judgment no matter what, but I can trust him. I cannot be somebody that gives favor to others regardless of what they're going through. The Bible says favor is basically prosperity. Prosperity is not the overabundance. Prosperity is when God takes his hand, puts it on your back, and pushes you further than you could go by yourself that is why I cannot maximize I can live a life without God but I cannot maximize it that's why some of us walk this life with a lot of great things and we feel the most lonely we've ever felt in our lives we've accomplished everything that we set out to accomplish we caught everything that we chase and yet we still cannot enjoy life because apart from God we are nothing Jesus gave his life that we could have life. And can I just tell you something? We can be good and moral and do good things apart from God. But there's a lot of good moral people that will end up in hell. Simply because without Jesus and without the love of the Father and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we cannot maximize who he's created us to be. It doesn't happen. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he talks about how you'll get all kinds of things in life. And he says it like this. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Listen, the good, all things is this. Good things, bad things, doesn't matter. It all works together. He bakes one big cake at the end of your life and you get to eat it because it's all things work together for the good of those who love God. What if the bad things in your life don't have to go to waste? What if the good things in your life don't have to go to waste? I'm just here to tell you, her perspective changed whenever Mordecai gave her this thought. And it, and, 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 it, and it changed her perspective so much that I think she began, or I know she began to see the idea that maybe God isn't punishing people. Maybe he's positioning people. Can I give you a thought? Maybe everything that's happened in your life isn't a punishment. It's positioning. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's bad. I'm not saying God caused every bad thing to happen to you. But what I am saying, he can use it. And he can use it to position you in a place to where you can make a difference. Because for such a time as what? This. As August 2022. And her perspective shift caused one more shift that we're going to move on. And it's a priority shift. When you see things differently, you prioritize things differently. Are you still with me today? Is this helping anybody? Come on. Priority shift when perspective shifts. I can prove it. When I had kids, 
My perspective shifted and my priority shifted. When, when I got married, my priority shifted because my perspective shifted. I'm no longer living for one, I'm living for two. I have more money to make, I have more responsibility, I have this, I have that. You see what I'm saying? When the bigger the church gets, the more my perspective changes and the more my priorities have to change. I can't meet with 800 plus people every single week, but I can meet with as many as I can. Do you follow me? Uh, systems have to change. I can't be everywhere all the time. We have two campuses, so my priorities have to shift. I have to lead through people instead of two people. Do you follow what I'm saying today? Everything changes, and we're only getting started, so I know the bigger we grow, because we're going to continue growing bigger, means that my priorities are still going to have to shift at all times. Same thing for you. And here's what happens. She says this in verses 15 through 17. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go to the king, which is not according to the law. In other words, I'm going to break the law. I'm going to do something that's, not customary, in order to get this decree changed so that we can save our nation. And she says this, I love this. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. If I die, I die. That's quite the priority shift, isn't it? See, all of a sudden, because Mordecai said, what if everything you have is setting you up for the perfect swing to hit the sweet spot in your life to save a nation? What if the palace is a setup? What if the power is a setup? What if the money is a setup? What if the things are a setup? What if all that is a setup? What if it's a positioning for you to make a great big difference in this world? Her priority goes from now she goes from valuing royalty to now she's valuing righteousness. If I die, I die, but I'll die doing what God asked me to do. And she no longer values the selfies in the throne room. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all don't act like you wouldn't be taking a selfie. Like, look at the gold on this thing. My boo king A bought me this. She's no longer valuing selfies. She's now valuing service. Let me use the position to serve others. She's no longer valuing what she can gain, but now she's valuing what she can give. See, you gotta, you gotta see the priority shift that took place because those are bold statements. You gotta understand, that's a bold statement to go, if I die, then I die. She went into it knowing he may get really ticked off and he has every authority to kill me in that moment. But at least I'll die doing what God asked me to do. What a priority shift. What, what, what a perspective shift. Because here's what happens. When our priorities line up with God's purpose for us, the potential is limitless. You gotta hear me. I need to say it again. When your priority, when my priorities line up with the purpose God has for me and for you, when that lines up with priorities, there's nothing our God cannot do. There's nothing he can't do. God can heal your child. 
I don't know if he will, because I'm not God, but he can. God can heal your marriage. I don't know if he will, but I know he can. Some of it depends on us too. It's not always God's fault. You want to heal your marriage? Go to a counselor, read some books, pray together, have sex together, pursue one another together, and, and, and be romantic together and watch your marriage get healed. God plus you. Perfect time plus perfect God always equals perfect opportunity. Are you following me today? Listen to me. I don't, like, I, I think you're just sitting, I think you're sitting up there and I think you're soaking it all in. But I need you to like understand where on the inside of me, I feel like a football player about to run out of a tunnel and knock somebody in the face mask for the first time. Like I'm telling you, man, because here's what I'm realizing in my life. For such a time as this, I can complain about the state of politics and I can complain about the recession and I can complain about inflation and I can complain about gas and that doesn't make me love God less, but I can, I can complain about all that, but I also got to step up and go for such a time as this. August 2022 was not on accident for me to be here. You are the age you are at the time you're that age because God destined it that way. You are not on accident. You are not by chance. Everything you have in your life is not by chance. And it can all be used to make an impact for God. Watch this, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Oh, man. Here we go. Y'all ready? I don't think y'all ready. This is the moment where I'm like on the sideline, headbutting people with my helmet on. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And you know what he looks at them and says? What I think is the same thing he'd say to us today. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know what happens to a harvest when there's not enough people to get it? It rots. It dies. I went on vacation this summer. I have a garden. I enjoy gardening. I know y'all are like, I don't think you ever got your hands dirty a day in your life. I love to garden. I enjoy it. We went on vacation, and nobody went and cut cucumbers or peas off of my stuff. We got back from vacation, and I had to cut dead peas off the plant so it didn't suck the energy from the ones that are trying to grow. And they died on the vine. Had to cut cucumbers and throw them in the woods for birds to eat because nobody cut them off the vine. That's not anybody's fault, but that's what happens when there's not enough workers. And I think what God wants us to do today is realize for such a time as this, I need some workers. I need some people that are unashamed and will step up and go, if I die, I die, but I'll die reaching people for the kingdom of God. I'll die, ser die serving his church. I'll die serving his kingdom. I'll die reaching my friends. I'll die reaching my family. I'll do what I gotta do in order to be who God created me to be because for such a time as this, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. For such a time as this, everything you have is on purpose for today and so let me give you let me give you a couple of practical next steps number one is some of us never invite people to church can I ask you to change that this week 
Man, every week we have people standing by the doors with invite cards. That is not because we just want to fill the seats. It's because, doggone it, I want to see people come to life in Christ. Grab those invite cards. And this week, hand them out. Every one of them. We got more next week. Hand all of them out. Invite as many people as you can. Why? Because I know what God's doing in this place. Number two, maybe, maybe you're like, oh, I invite people. Maybe you don't serve. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Workers are few. We always have opportunities for people to serve at Radiate Church. You know why? The harvest is plentiful. And we'll always make room. So here's what I want you to do. If you don't serve, I want to invite you to really consider going through our Engage, engage classes. Here's all it is. You learn about the mission, vision, and values, structure, and government of this church. Why we do what we do and how we do it. And then you find a team that you can serve on. I don't want to wake up early on a Sunday. Well, I'm not a morning person either. I preach at 8.30, at 10, and 11.30, and I do what I got to do. And I'll be back tonight to preach to our middle schoolers and high schoolers. Because if I die, at least I die doing what God asked me to do. I want to give you that opportunity. What I'd love to do right now is pray for you, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to change the world by living this thing out. Let me pray for you real quick. If you're in the room... And, and, and you're ready to give your life to Jesus. And like, that's your, your step is you gotta submit your life to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Here's what I wanna do. I just wanna pray for you real quick. I just want you to pray. And, and, and if you wanna give your life to Jesus, you just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I give you all that I am. I give you all that I have. Forgive who I was. Forgive who I am and redeem God who I'll ever be. Thank you for the sacrifice of the cross. Thank you for giving me a room, a, a seat at the table in the family of God. And thank you for redeeming my life. Now, if you're in here and you prayed that prayer and you meant it and you gave your life to Jesus, I want to tell you, you have, you have been forgiven and you have a seat at the table in the kingdom of God. If you prayed that, would you just hold your hand up? No, nobody looking around. Just us right now. We just want to give you some information and walk this out together. Hold it up. We, we're going to put a clipboard in your hand. And we're going to get some information. Actually, what I need you to do is stop by the Connect Center on the way out and let them know. We'll get you some information. Y'all, can we give it up for one person that gave their life to Jesus this morning right here at Radio Church? God, for such a time as this, let us walk out. Let us use everything we got. Change our perspective. Change our priorities. Let us focus on you. God, we love you. Radiate Church, let's grab those invites. Let's invite people. Let's be back next Sunday. I love you guys. Let's go change the world. I'll see you next Sunday.